Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Friends and supporters of the show, thanks for tuning in to this, another episode of the Gin Jack Podcast. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. It's bye week time in Duval. Thank the high heavens. After six straight losses, the Jaguars are one and six. Gardner Minshew has struggled over the last month, and we found out that he has been dealing with a, a uh, couple injuries in his throwing hand. We'll get to that. The defense might be the worst we've ever seen in the franchise's 26 seasons. And we've also got a dog in the background chewing on a squeaky toy. So we're off to a great start, aren't we, Jeremy? Yeah, man, we're off to the start just like the Jaguars season, man. Here we go. But you know what? I'm back. I'm excited to talk some Jaguars football after a little bit of a hiatus. Um, you know, it is what it is, and we're going to take it for exactly that. You know, it's it's almost kind of unfolding exactly how we expected it, you know, a short glimmer of hope in the beginning of the season. But, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe they can, you know, knock something you know, knock something around, get something right, you know, in this bye week. This is really should be a time for them to collect themselves and hopefully try to get back on track or at least do what they can uh, to get themselves in a good position moving forward. Yeah, and one of the hosts of this show, not named Jordan, spent the last week in enemy territory. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I spent a weekend uh, in Nashville. Uh, let me tell you what, I have no uh, love lost for the Titans, man. It was uh, absolutely despicable and disgusting we uh stayed right outside of downtown so i got to wake up every morning to a nice view of nissan stadium uh, i've never hated an opposing franchise more so we were down there um spent about an hour of game day down there on sunday and i mean they do like their titan football but uh it was kind of fun being enemy territory for once you know i feel like there's usually a lot of of opposing fans, uh, you know, around and near downtown Jacksonville uh, during game days, you know, always chirping and talking. So it was kind of cool to be on the other side for once and uh, tell them how I really felt about their Titans. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they got quite an earful. And uh, make sure to check out GenJag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news, analysis, and to get all your Duval merch. Again, that's GenJag.com. Today is going to be all about you, the fans. We're going to cover some of the latest news, of course, but the bulk of this show is going to be mailbag questions, and we haven't answered your questions on this here show in quite some time. So we wanted to be here for you and just have a show that's just straight up all for the fans, and uh, that's what we're going to do here today. Perfect time to do it on a bye week. Big thank you to Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street and at their Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. Got a couple of quick notes to get into before we talk about some some Doug Marone press conference from uh, Monday or Tuesday. Pretty interesting stuff from that, and then obviously talk about the Minshew injury. First, though, James Robinson nominated for Rookie of the Week yet again after his two touchdowns and 119 yards on the ground against the Chargers. Isn't it just incredible how... 
impactful this undrafted rookie has been through now what's almost halfway point of the season. Absolutely incredible. He's been, you know, one of the very, very bright spots of this team. I mean, he's probably the brightest spot on this team. One thing Jacksonville has always had was an elite running back. Fournette may not have been elite, but he was better than average. But Jacksonville has prided itself in being a good team that runs the football well. And that's something that, you know, we were hoping to get again. And we kind of thought, you know, Fournette was going to be the guy. It was time for him to step up and become that next great Jacksonville running back. But lo and behold, you know, there's this undrafted rookie who comes in and and is absolutely lighting it up. You know, second time he's been nominated for rookie of the week this year. Uh, You know, I do think it's unfortunate that, you know, there's an opposing rookie on the other team that we played this past weekend. That's probably going to earn that spot, but uh, you can't deservedly so. Deservedly so, yes, but you you cannot be upset with with anything this young man has done. Um, It's been absolutely phenomenal to see. He should absolutely be in running uh, for Offensive Rookie of the Year. I mean, he should definitely be one of, if not the top front runner, uh, one of the top two. I do unfortunately think that you know being in Jacksonville is going to you know bar his chances a little bit, but he's been nothing short of outstanding, and I can't say that enough. Yeah, and speaking about him a little bit again. Uh, LaVisca Chenault and James Robinson are both in PFF's top 10 rookies so far. I think it's easy to see why. James Robinson is second or third, I believe, among running backs, and Visca is third, I believe, among wide receivers, right behind Chase Claypool. We've all seen what he's been able to do as a rookie. Mapletron up there in Pittsburgh, he's really something else. But Visca is really impressive in his own right. He's got all the ball skills in the world um, in terms of with the ball in his hands and then going up and getting the ball. He's shown the ability to make tough catches uh, through contact, which has been really impressive. And they haven't quite unleashed him as Jeremy would like down the field, but still it's been a really impressive start for LaVisca Chenault. It absolutely has. And, and, you know, building off what we talked about before, like you said, they haven't really unleashed him. But there's still, you know, time and he shows the potential to really be, you know, one of those guys who can do absolutely everything. So I really hope we get to see that. Um, you know, he, he has done great with the ball in his hands, making guys miss, breaking tackles, making tough catches. You know, if he can improve and just keep improving, he's going to be an absolute monster in this league. You know, like I said, he's shown the ability to do everything that you want. Hopefully, you know, he might be one of those guys that can do it all. He's not just going to be a burner down the field or, you know, a guy who's only going to make contested catches or run. He's hopefully going to be one of those guys that can do everything for you. Those guys are hard to come by. I can't remember the last time Jacksonville had one of those guys. So it'd be really interesting to see if he can become one of those guys. Yeah, it will. And he's certainly on the right track. So now a couple other notes before we uh, move on to Doug Marone. Uh, Ryan Groy of the Chargers, who the Jaguars obviously played and lost to on Sunday, he has tested positive for COVID-19, and he's a center or offensive guard. I can't remember what he was playing for the Chargers this weekend. But he is a guy that was (laughs) having very close interactions with many Jaguars fans, or excuse me, Jaguars players. So something to monitor. The Jaguars haven't had any new tests, but I'm not sure how much they're doing any testing with the bye week. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Hopefully the Jaguars will be all clear. And then on the reverse side of that, the team that the Jaguars are scheduled to play after their bye week, the Texans, they've also had a positive case pop up. 
So just a few things to monitor there on the COVID front, obviously. Hopefully it'll all be uh, all good for the Jaguars in terms of not getting anything from the Chargers players. And then uh, obviously, hopefully the Texans will be ready to play next Sunday when the Jaguars are set to host them. Yeah, it's always something to monitor, um, something that does you know cause a little concern. Like you said, it's a guy who had a lot of close contact with probably everybody on that defensive front for the Jaguars. And so, you know, with the bye week, you've got to be very diligent. Obviously, you want to limit exposure, so you don't want to really bring anybody into the building. Uh, but you probably shouldn't wait to get these guys tested until they come back. You know, if you wait all this time and then you pop, you know, a negative test and close down the facility again, well, then you're sending yourself back two weeks. I mean, you're a billion-dollar sports franchise. Hopefully, they're sending – people out in the home to test these guys so we can identify it quickly and make sure that we're taking the steps that we need to not jeopardize the next week following. Yeah. Now this next segment of the show, we are going to be having maybe some choice words, not because of us, but because of the Jaguars head coach. He was kind of getting after it in his press conference with the cuss words. So we're going to play that for you. I do believe the Jaguars did a good job of editing out some of those cuss words, but I'll go ahead and tell you that the Jaguars might be on some crazy shit for the next few weeks, according to Doug Marone. And I'll go ahead and play this clip for you from his press conference earlier this week. I'm I'm kind of fired up. And I know you guys are probably sitting like, what the hell is going on? How could this guy be fired up? They just lost six in a row, you know, and I understand that I, I totally do, but, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bust my ass, man. I mean, I'm telling you now, I'm I'm you know I'm gonna look at some things. I want to go a little bit outside the box. I mean, I want to you know challenge these coaches and challenge these players, um, and and see see I I am gonna do whatever I can to get the best out of this team and best out of these players. I mean, so you know I'm sure people are gonna you know you know mock me for that or say whatever the hell they want, but I really don't give a I'm I'm fired up. I'm I'm going to go after it, you know, and you know, however it falls it falls, but you know, it's it's open for me. You know, I've done you know crazy shit before, you know. Um you know, a lot of people don't know. We changed an offense, you know, four or five days prior to the opening of our season in Syracuse, you know what I'm saying, my last year. Um we just went in a whole different direction and it worked out. Um, you know, we took chances on some guys. We took a chance on a guy named James Robinson and he's playing his ass off. So, you know, I'm kind of fired up, man. Let's go. Thanks to Jaguars.com for that audio as always. Wow. I mean, that is one of the more bizarre musings from a head coach that I've ever heard, especially one that has a one in six team has one win to his name this year. I mean, talking about switching stuff up, uh, doing some crazy shit, as he said. Are we going to see a different offensive philosophy? Are we going to see different personnel, changes to the coaching staff? We know Todd Wash isn't going anywhere as long as Doug's around. I mean, what do you make of this? What is he going to do to radically change what's happening? The only crazy shit that I want to see is him going back on his word and kicking Todd Wash to the curb. I mean, it seems like he's pushing and maybe grabbing for some energy. He's trying to create some energy. This team needs energy. I mean, you've seen the body language just slowly decrease and get worse throughout the weeks. I mean, guys are starting to get frustrated. 
DJ Chark is starting to get frustrated, and you're going to get frustrated. These guys don't like to lose. A lot of these guys are coming from programs, you know, where, where they are consistently winning. You get to the NFL, you realize your dream, you've made it, and it's just right in the crapper. Like you're playing for the Jaguars, you're not winning very much. It can't be fun. So I, I don't know. Maybe he's just trying to, like I said, rile up some energy, get some stuff going, but. It's a little too late, man. You know, you can't just stop on a dime and and you know you want to do some some crazy stuff and, and switch up the offense. I mean, that's not really how that works in the NFL. You know, it, it's really going to be hard for them to just do some crazy stuff. You know, we've seen them do some crazy stuff like that uh, halfback pass. How'd that go? You know, or some other crazy play calls that haven't really gone their way. So I don't really know what else you can do that is categorized as crazy that you're going to be successful with. Yeah. You took a shot on James Robinson and that one worked out for you. Cool. Well, you're batting like one for 50 this year, everything else that they've tried, you know, hasn't really come to fruition as much as you would like. So I am interested to see what he means by this. I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be an intention grab though. You know, like I don't want him to, you know, trying to go out there and make it seem like, you know, hey, look, man, the, the results aren't out there, but I'm working my ass off. I'm working hard. That's great, man. We hope you're always working hard. You shouldn't have to get out there and, you know, em- emphatically exclaim it, you know, for us to, to to kind of dig our heels in. We need to see results. So until we start seeing some results, you know, it's going to be tough to kind of get behind that momentum. I Again, I like it. I mean, you know, but I just I can't read too much into it because there hasn't really been anything to back it up. Yeah, I think part of it for him is like psychological. Like he's like, I can't look back at what's gone wrong over this first seven weeks of the season. I just have to keep moving forward. And he's right about that from his standpoint, 100%. I don't think it's going to help the Jaguars do anything this year. But um, it was also weird before that. I didn't play this clip, but he talked about how he had won games, um, you know, with Syracuse and with the Bills and even with the Jaguars. And it's like, no one gives a crap about that right now, man. I don't know why you're bringing that up. Yeah, you won some games with Syracuse. You won some games with the Bills. You took the Jaguars to the playoffs. Guess what? You haven't done crap since 2017. This is a not-for-long business. Your 2017 results and prior to that, it doesn't matter anymore. And a lot of the reason that the Jaguars may have lost in the championship game in 2017 is his conservative uh, philosophy. So I don't know about all this. I I think Doug Marone's running out of things to say. I think he's running out of things to think. And I think uh, you're right. He's just trying to create some energy. And whether it works out or not, we'll see. It probably won't based on recent results. Just like you said, man, not for long. And another thing to kind of add to that is the NFL is a big, you know, what have you done for me lately league? And you've done nothing for us lately. You've done nothing in the past two years. And so, you know, it's hard to get behind that. And, and again, I, the only thing I can think of is rallying the troops, get some guys behind you. But it looks like the players are starting to lose faith too. And then that's why I think this is where this is all stemming from, is you've got some key guys, you know, some faces of the franchise on the sideline, just looking like they're fed up and sick of it. And we've seen that before. And we're seeing it again, and history repeats itself. And so, you know, we've got to figure out a way to right the ship 
before you know things go awry and we lose all this young talent. I mean, eventually some people are going to get fed up with losing. This is the NFL. You don't come here to lose. So um, if he's going to do some crazy shit, he better do it quick. Yeah, and obviously the one everybody looks at is DJ Chark because he was the most visibly frustrated for good reason. He was not playing well. And then uh, when Gardner was able to find him, he kind of wasn't uh, wasn't making catches that he normally does. And then Gardner was missing him on some throws as well. So very frustrating day for DJ, frustrating few weeks. And uh, let's just go ahead and get right into Gardner Minshew. He has multiple fractures and a torn ligament in his throwing hand. Been dealing with pain since October 11th when the Jaguars took on the Texans. I don't think it's a coincidence that his play has greatly deteriorated from that moment till now. Uh, I don't think all of it can be blamed on that injured uh, thumb on his throwing hand, but you see some balls sailing, some balls looking a little bit like, what was that? And I think you can blame some of that on, on that injury to his throwing hand. And for the Jaguars to not know about it, is kind of bizarre as well until the x-rays they had done this week. Like, was he not mentioning that his hand was hurting? Was he hiding it so he wouldn't get, uh, you know, have to leave the game? I don't know. Yeah, that's definitely very concerning when you look at it from that perspective. Like, how did they not know? And and like you said, obviously, on a throwing hand, if you've got torn ligaments and fractures in the thumb nonetheless – you know, the finger that really holds the ball, you know, the, without a throw, without a thumb. I mean, tell me how you would do that. I, I don't get it. And look, if, if it's a thing where, you know, Gardner understands that this is his year to prove it, which, you know, it obviously is, and he did not want the team to find out, well, that's not a great way to look at things either because then you're not putting the team in the best position and you're not helping yourself. So, it's puzzling on how the team didn't know you would have to think. I mean, they, they very blatantly came out and that was reported. So that that's gotta be something. Somebody's gotta be covering their ass here on some end. You know, the Jaguars to be saying, look, this sounds bad, but we had no clue. So it leads me to believe that Gardner was probably hiding it. If I had to guess, I mean, look, man, he tried to break his hand one time, you know, just to get an extra year of eligibility. So this wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities for him. But at the end of the day, you know, a couple fractures in the thumb, a couple torn ligaments. Maybe you get, you know, a quicker rehab and you get back out there to prove what you can do you know, down the stretch. But if you're putting yourself in a bad position because of injuries, you're not really going to help yourself either. So it's a little bit puzzling, in my opinion, you know, on the entire situation. You know, what is going on? I, I really, really don't understand. Yeah, I think he's a guy that's going to scrap and claw and try to fight through injuries. But on the other hand, you're right. Like, you're a guy that is literally having to prove everyone wrong this year to basically get a shot at starting again next year and playing with a injured thumb on your throwing hand is not going to help you get there. I, I get that maybe he's like, you know, if I get injured and I go out, I might never see the field again, which is possible, but, uh, it's puzzling situation. It's an unfortunate situation. It sucks for Gardner because he is such a likable guy. Right now, there's no timetable about if he'll miss time, um, how long he'll miss if he does miss time, etc. But like I mentioned, I do believe this is having an impact on his 
overall performances as of late, certainly, uh, and his accuracy, ball placement. Uh, I I want to touch on this from a big picture perspective. I know we've done it a lot, but I just wanted to reiterate how I think the Jaguars need to handle this quarterback situation. I love Gardner Minshew. Love what he's done for Jacksonville. Love his story, his swagger, his personality. And I like parts of his game a lot, especially if you take away the last three weeks when he's been dealing with a, you know, uh, an injured throwing hand. Still, I don't think you can pass on – I know you can't pass on Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields if you're in position to get one of those guys, which they should be in position to at least get Justin Fields. I think you probably can't pass on Trey Lance as well, but I need more information before I can fully commit to that take. But my point is, if you can go get what you think is a generational talent, you do not pass up on that for Gardner Minshew or a guy like Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew at his peak is probably going to be a top 16 to top 12 quarterback in the NFL. That type of guy... I don't know. At his peak, at his, but I mean, uh, that's a tough. That's a tough box to put because even then, okay, even if you don't believe that, that's fine. That's not really what my point is. My point is, if you've got a guy on your team that's very, very best games is going to be, or very, very best seasons is going to be, middle of the road, you know, around sixteen, maybe sixteen to twenty range, maybe twelve to twenty range, whatever it is. That is not a guy that is going to help you win championships in the NFL on a regular basis in the modern day. It's just not going to work. The Jaguars have never had a guy since Mark Brunel, who was that type of top 10 perennial guy. Uh, And there's a reason that they've only made the playoffs three times in the last 20 years. Because when they don't, when they, okay, they've tried to go get Byron Leftwich, right? Obviously didn't work out. They didn't try to replace him with a first-round pick quarterback until Blaine Gabbert. And then Gabbert obviously didn't work out. Then they tried to get Blake Bortles. Obviously didn't work out. You have got to keep trying to get the franchise quarterback until you find him. And even after you find him, you got to keep going back to the well to get a good backup. You just have to, in my opinion. I don't think you can honestly win consistently in the NFL without a franchise quarterback. And I believe a franchise quarterback, you're talking about maybe like the top eight guys in the NFL, something like that on an annual basis. Yeah. I mean, most definitely that you can't argue with that. You can't argue with the the fact that there's a need now more than ever for a top five quarterback. And I'm not saying that, you know, if you've got a guy who's in the middle of the pack that, that you don't go out and get another one because you do. Because you're seeing more and more these days that, you know, the separation, especially in today's NFL, the separation between the top five, top six guys and everybody else, it's just, it's bigger than it's ever been. You know, no longer can you win with a Trent Dilfer or, you know, a Joe Flacco. Like Joe Flacco had a great year, but, you know, that that one year, but it's still, you know, he was still a mediocre guy. You're not going to see that as much in this league. You know, guys are faster. Defenses are getting better. The the game is revolving more around the quarterback. You have to obviously go get one of those guys. And absolutely, you don't pass up on a generational talent like Trevor Lawrence. And really, even, you know, 
Justin Fields, he's still going to be one of those top-tier guys that are looked at in this draft. Trey Lance, I don't know if I can really get behind that yet. But again, you don't have time to waste because the only way Gardner Minshew was going to be the quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars going forward after this year was if he physically put the team out of position to replace him. And it does not look like that's going to happen. He would have had to, like I said, physically put the team in a position where they could not draft his replacement. Because honestly, in my opinion, after you know the first three, four guys maybe in this draft, the drop-off is pretty significant at the quarterback position. Really, even after the first two, in my opinion. I haven't seen enough of, of, of Lance to really kind of get a feel for that. But really after that, I mean you've got a, a big gap and a, these are guys that you can't throw in on a team like the Jaguars and expect to win. There might be some, you know, surprises in there. Don't get me wrong, but the Jaguars aren't a team that you could just take a guy with promise and drop him in. You need a guy to be an instant factor. And I think the only two instant factors in this draft right now are Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, excuse me. So you're not going to be able to pass one of those guys up unless you physically can't. But then you're back into the cycle of, well, what do we do now? You know, the Jaguars always put themselves right outside the cusp, except for a few situations where, you know, guys like Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes have gone to teams that have the pieces around them to make them good. Obviously, I think Mahomes was going to be a star anywhere, and, and a lot of teams missed on that. But Bortles, a guy who, you know, you took a chance on, put him on a team, needed a little bit more work. He wasn't a guy that was supposed to make an immediate impact. He wasn't going to be, you know, in my opinion, looking back on it, you know, he wasn't one of those guys that just drops you like Lawrence does. And you've got to shy away from that. You've got to find that guy who's going to make you an instantaneous threat, especially with the pieces that you have in this offense. There are some good pieces to work with. Yeah. There's never been a quarterback that the Jaguars have been able to acquire that has been that guy that you're like draft pedigree, physical talent, all the good stuff you need. It's always been, well, he's got the potential Uh, or with Byron, you know, he could have been something. He was just injured, had the awful release that just took days to get the ball out of his hands and also had no touch on the ball. But I digress. We don't need to get into a full Byron Leftwich conversation, but the point is the Jaguars, have been a crap franchise because they have not been able to get a good quarterback since Mark Brunel left. A good, consistent quarterback that can carry a team in certain situations. And and Mark Brunel, he might not have been the guy that would be like a franchise guy today, but back then he certainly was with what was around him. And um, the game's changed so much too, so to where he was very effective in that day and age. But You've got to get a franchise guy. All the best franchises have done that, and that's why they win consistently. So to reiterate my whole point of this is I think Minshew can be fine. Like If he goes to a really good team that's surrounded him with good talent on offense and they don't feel pressure to score on every single drive because they have a good defense, I think he could do fine. I think a great landing spot for him, and I hate to say this, would actually be Pittsburgh. I think they would do great with him after Ben Roethlisberger's done. But um, and we're getting way ahead of ourselves. I'm just getting a little fired up thinking about all this. But point is, you can't let Minshew hold you back from going after a quarterback at the top of the draft, even if you have to trade up a little bit to get him, because you need Justin Fields 
or Trevor Lawrence, you know, obviously it'll be harder to get him. But who knows? If the Jets win a game, the Jaguars jump the Jets in draft order. So you could be talking about something there with Lawrence. So can't let Minshew hold you back on that. But at the same time, I don't think you just go reach for a guy at quarterback in the 20s or in the second round and uh, throw him into the fire. Because when you're doing that, I don't know if you're going to get much better than Minshew at that spot, at least early on. So you want to avoid that, in my opinion, because you can get other really talented players at those spots. I couldn't agree more. And and to kind of touch on what you were first talking about, the Jaguars have never had the opportunity to get that guy in the draft. You know, even the year that, that they took Bortles, you know, if I'm not mistaken, was the first quarterback drafted. That quarterback draft, you know, was not top heavy. You know, the guys that were, I mean, yeah, Derek Carr and Teddy I Bridgewater, Manziel, I believe, are the two best Manziel quarterbacks in that draft, that if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, but Carr and Bridgewater are the yeah, two guys. Yeah, but again, those, those, aren't, those aren't Trevor Lawrence's. Those aren't Andrew Luck's, no. you know. If you look back historically at, at the last few, you know, really prodigy-type guys, the Jaguars have never gotten a chance to get that. And I think this – Outside of what Mahomes and Watson, yes, obviously. Yes, but again – you know, that that's that a lot of people miss they definitely that. miss and a lot of people did too. But a key thing is like like you said, you can't bring a guy here and throw him in the fire. Places like Pittsburgh, you mentioned Pittsburgh for, for Minshew, and again, we're getting down the road and we'll talk more about this when the draft time, you know, starts to turn around or when the Jaguars start looking ahead towards the draft if they haven't already. But this is not a place where you can take a guy like that and mold him into a good quarterback. You know, you're not looking at a place that has either a top notch coach or a top-notch team that just needs a quarterback. You're looking at a team that doesn't have a great coaching staff, in my opinion, doesn't have a great team around it, doesn't have a great organization around it. You know, this isn't like just throw somebody in Green Bay or Pittsburgh or, or you know, even New England. Like there are pieces there and a coaching staff and, and ways to win and ways to grow that just aren't here in Jacksonville. So I think the only option you have is, is to go out and get – the top guy to get a guy that's that's undoubtedly light years ahead of everybody else. And it may just be in my own opinion, but I still think that Trevor Lawrence is light years ahead of Justin Fields. I mean, light years just from what you want in a quarterback. Oh, he's the crowd. Yeah. And, and we haven't yeah. had one of those since Andrew Luck. And even the Andrew Luck and RG three gap, in my opinion, was way closer than the Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields gap. And that's what I'm kind of equating this. This looks like this is going to be, you know, one of those one-two drafts, but Trevor Lawrence is like, I mean, you can't even explain it from a, from a football perspective, everything you could have ever wished for. Now the game is, is definitely changing. I think Justin Fields is going to fit amazingly in the right situation. Um, he's going to find. Yeah. He's got to develop a lot yeah. this year. His offense on at Ohio state, it's a half field offense. So he's not having to read the whole field. You got to be able to do that when you get to the next level. And we'll see if he's, you know, tested more in terms of doing that, in terms of growing into the quarterback system at Ohio State, because it is only his second year starting that he's going into now. But um, yeah, we can talk about these quarterbacks ad nauseum. But the point being is you just can't pass on a potential franchise guy. Agreed. So now getting back to the Jaguars' current situation, Mike Glennon and Jake Luton, or Lutton, I don't remember how to say his name at this point, they are the current backups. You would think Glennon would get the first chance, but who knows? Maybe the Jaguars want to see what they've got there with uh, Jake. So Jake from State Farm. But um, 
Yeah. We were supposed to be doing the mailbag for the majority of the episode, and we're now 30 minutes in. So we do apologize, but we will get to the mailbag in just a second. First, please follow Jeremy on Twitter, at Jeremy Markoski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, and Generation Jaguar, at Generation Jag. You can also check out Generation Jaguar on Facebook and Instagram, at Generation Jaguar. All right, without further ado, it is time to get into our mailbag. First one we've done in... Gosh, I can't even remember how long as uh, Murray is back here just getting after her squeaky toy. Hopefully you guys are enjoying that. So first mailbag question, Garrett on Instagram. What is your stance on Doug Marone? I think we've talked about this quite a bit, but do you want to lead us off here, Jeremy? Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, Doug Marone has a style of coaching that just doesn't fit right now. and. We've seen it throughout his career. Doug Marone has has gotten so close, but has never been able to get over the hump. Um, I personally was a fan of Doug Marone coming into Jacksonville. Everything that I brought with him, you know, the whole Tom Coughlin relationship was something that I thought was going to blossom into a beautiful thing here in Jacksonville, but it just didn't pan out. I just don't think Doug Marone has what it takes to take this team and lead them uh, to to be a winning franchise and. You know, he's he's definitely had success in this league, and he's not a bad coach. He, he does great work with the offensive line, and that might just be where he fits best. But my thoughts on Doug Brown right now are just, you know, he's a guy that's just not going to be able to get it done. He doesn't really have, you know, a, a specialty per se, offense or defense really. I mean, obviously, especially his offensive line. But you're seeing more and more in the NFL, you've got to have a head coach with, with some sort of prowess on one side of the ball or the other. These CEO type head coaches really are kind of phasing out, and I think that's kind of where Doug Marone stands. I think he's you know kind of becoming uh, a lost a lost art in the NFL, something that's not really going to be really successful going forward. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think the reason for the CEO coach is not working is because if you have a great offensive coordinator, guess what? He's getting sniped, and then you're left back at ground zero trying to rebuild this offense or defense, vice versa. Uh, and then just my stance on him besides that, I mean, he should have been fired after 2019. We've both agreed on that. I could understand why you would have wanted to fire him after 18, but I also get not firing him because, you know, this is just one year after going to the AFC championship. So I get that, but yeah, he shouldn't be a head coach in the NFL right now. I wish him the best of luck in the future. I think he's grown a lot since his time in Buffalo, as a person and a coach and a professional and I like him, but at the same time, it's just time to go. I don't think he's a good enough head coach to lift a team, a roster that's just frankly not been handled properly by the general manager. He's not good enough to do that. And you need a coach that can do that. And, you know, had Doug Marone give been given a franchise quarterback, maybe everything would be different. But that's not the situation that's happened, and it's time to move on. Yeah, you on. know what could, good coaches do? The cream of the crop coaches, they go and make those guys. You know, they'll take what they have, and they'll make everybody better. You know, what is what has Belichick done time and time again with guys like Matt Castle? You know, he's created those guys, put them in a position to be successful, and, you know, it's just very obvious that Marone's not a guy who's capable of doing something like that. Yeah, and I, I, I think most – Coaches are not capable of taking a Matt Castle and making him look like Belichick did. (laughs) But I I get your point for sure. Now, 
Christian on Twitter. This is a long-winded question, so let's get into it. The Young Jags team was fired up and in high spirits at the beginning of the season. After getting the news about Minshew and being, I guess he's talking about the injury to Minshew, and being on a six-game losing streak, how difficult is it going to be for this group of young guys to not be discouraged? We know attitudes and personalities have been a trouble in the past. So yeah, I mean, I get what he's saying for sure. I don't think there's any way to avoid being discouraged or being frustrated. But how you handle that discouragement and that frustration is what sets this apart. And I think even though DJ was visibly frustrated, I think for the most part you're going to see this team stick together. I don't I mean, when they're getting blown out and when they're having tough games, they're going to look frustrated on the sideline, but I don't think you're going to have those attitudes and personalities that you have had in the past, such as, you know, Jalen blowing up at the coach on the sideline, or I don't think you're going to see anything like that happen this year. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult. In my opinion, I agree with you. It's going to be very, very difficult for these guys not to get discouraged. Um, like you said, we don't have the same, you know, fiery personalities that we have. We've kind of gotten rid of a lot of that stuff, and, and you're starting to look at, the moves that were made in the offseason, and that kind of seems to be where the team was headed. But the question, you know, to kind of counteract that, it's how do you keep from being discouraged? And you got to have a coaching staff that's going to be able to keep these guys focused. And I don't think we have it. We've seen that in the past. You know, we haven't been able to keep the stars we had here focused. Um, how do you do it? Especially, Especially Todd Walsh. Yeah. My goodness. And, and, and how else do you do it? With leadership. I don't, we don't really have anybody on this team who seems to be the outspoken, you know, face of the locker room. We don't really have that guy anymore. We had it in Clayus Campbell and we dished him off to Baltimore, you know, so someone needs to take up, step in and, and take on that role. We have a lot of veterans on this team, a guy like Brandon Linder, who's been here for a while. But again, you know, I, I would defer it to you to ask you because I don't have an answer for it, but. Who is the undoubted leader on this team? I don't see one. So without that, it's going to be very difficult to be discouraged. There isn't one. I think uh, the coaches might look at Avery Jones, but your leader's got to be a more productive football player than Avery Jones. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. I understand where you're coming from. I think, you know, you can't really make a good leader. I think a leader... You know, I think it just comes naturally. So I don't necessarily agree with the fact that, that you have to have someone who's, you know, insane on the field. But it does help to have a guy. He's not even very good, though, right. to be completely he's not. honest. Like, and it is, he's not even like a quality yeah, starter. Yeah, so, but, I mean, it depends on if you're looking for somebody to lead by example on the field or lead these these guys to be men. You know, it's something that you wouldn't see, especially, you know, if if we're talking about composure in times where, you know, it's getting very rough, that's not something you're not necessarily going to see from somebody on the field. That's something that you would, you know, that would be happening behind the scenes in the locker room. Like, look, guys, we're getting through this together. It's going to be rough. We got to keep our heads up. We got to progress because this is how you progress in the NFL. You're going to face adversity. Some teams might face more than others. Obviously, we do. And uh, the fact that, that they're showing visible frustration leads them to believe that they don't have the right guys in the locker room to keep everyone's head on tight. Yeah, and it's easier to follow someone, I guess is my point, that has that leadership voice but also shows it on the field. It's just more natural to follow that type of person and that type of player is my point there. Now, getting to Nate on Twitter, 
If the Jags come in dead last in the division and fail to win at least three games this season, how realistic is it to think that Shad Khan announces he is relocating the Jags? I'll jump in right away. Could the Jags move down the road? Yes. Is the Jaguars losing 13 games or whatever this season going to lead the Jaguars to move next year? No. Uh, COVID has put a big fat no on anything like that happening around the NFL this year. And there's just not the infrastructure yet for it to work in London for an NFL team. Could it happen down the road? Sure. Is it going to happen this year because the Jaguars only won three games? No. I um, I definitely agree that I don't think this season would push Shad to move the team, but I think it's more likely now than it ever has been. Um, you know, there's just a lot of signs that point to the Jaguars not committing long term. You know, all the stuff going on with Lot J and proposals expiring and things. You know, you keep hearing about this development and you keep hearing about you know how much Shad wants to win and how much they're committed to winning, but then it all just kind of disappears. So, you know, I, I personally think that. You know, Shad being the businessman that he is, this is just a money maker for him. And if the team's not making money, he's going to move the team to a place where it can make some money. Um, again, well, that's a that's a th- you can't say the team's not making money. They're making money hand over yes, fist every year. Every NFL but, team is bottom line. But he could make more money in London if he thinks that's what he needs to do. He's going to move the team. I just don't think there's any way it happens that quickly. I don't think so year. either, but I mean, I I would I wouldn't be remiss to say within a three to five ten year window from now, um, three to f- not three oh, to five sure. three to five. I would say five. To 10. I think it's gonna be. I I personally think it's gonna be a little bit sooner, especially if the next two years does not prove to change the direction of this franchise. It's been far too long. The fans are gonna start getting restless, and and I just don't see a way that you could keep a viable franchise in the city of Jacksonville. Yes, I get it. They do make money, obviously, but there is is the opportunity to make millions and billions of more dollars elsewhere and dollar signs where it speaks to Shad Khan. And I think it's very realistic. Will it be this year? No. But again, three to five years, I could very realistically see us losing this franchise. Yeah, it'll be a fascinating and potentially devastating storyline to follow. Now, Jonathan from Twitter, learning that Doug talks with Shad on a weekly basis, apparently, how likely is it that he doesn't actually get fired? I'm at 80% chance he's still here next year. You want to tackle this one first? Um, I, yeah, I, I don't. I see where he's coming from. But I mean, hopefully you have any sort of relationship like that with your owner if, if Shad's truly being this hands-on. Do I think that it's set in stone that this regime is gone? No, I, I don't think it is. Um, I, I've heard too much of a narrative about you know this being the plan. You know this we knew this was coming, and that kind of concerns me. Do I think that you know this completely keeps him safe? No, I do not. I think Shad Khan just wanted to cut out the middleman. Um, I still think that at the end of this year, this regime is gone and that would be the right move. Um, I would probably say it's it's 80-20 on them leaving rather than 80-20 on them staying. 
Yeah, nothing would shock me at this point, but I just don't know how you keep him around after what you've seen this year. I mean, they kept Gus Bradley around for a long a long time, longer than they should have, but that was supposed to be a massive rebuild. This was never built that way, and I just don't think you can keep him around after this season that we've seen. You know, who knows what happens down the stretch, but they have got a gauntlet of games. We've talked about ad nauseum. I just don't see how they win enough games for him to sway Shad Khan to keep him. I just don't see it happening. Now, Patrick on Instagram, when will termination start? Related question, obviously, there. I don't think anything will happen until after the season. Shad Khan spoke a few weeks ago. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. I think he will let Doug Marone finish uh, what he started. And I I just don't think that he's going to get rid of him before the season ends. And if he did, I think you're looking at like with a couple weeks left. Maybe. Yeah, I agree. I think um, more than likely we're going to see this, this group finish out the year because why not? I mean, really what's it going to do for you? Are you looking to really get that spark by getting the interim head coach maybe? Um, and who's that going to be? You know, or you're not going to go out and make an outside hire. So you have to look at a guy like maybe Jay Gruden who has some head coaching experience, but Again, I, I don't think this team – it's not like this team just needs a change of pace to get right back you know, in, into their winning ways. This team is not a very good football team, especially defensively. So I don't think that you know making any sort of sudden changes will right any ship. This team is not in playoff contention. They're not a realistic contender in the division. Um, so there's really nothing that points to getting rid of these guys early. Take your time in the offseason when you know where you're going to be drafting. Um, and, and kind of go from there because if you do end up with that number one or number two pick and you're set on getting one of those two quarterbacks, you're going to want to go find a guy, a GM specifically, who understands what he's what he's getting into and, and build the team around that guy. And likewise, you're going to find a coach uh, who you know is going to build around that guy. If you fire them now and bring in a guy, you know it's 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 not to to rebuild from scratch. It's it's to kind of pick and choose what they have available. So. I think you won't see anything till after the season. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Cody from Twitter. It looks like the team will be in a great position to get a quarterback out of the draft. With the other great picks we have in the first four rounds, do you think there will be an immediate impact on the performance next year, or do you see this being a three- to five-year plan? So basically, I think Cody is asking – if the Jaguars go get their quarterback at the top of the draft and, you know, with the rest of their early round draft hall, will this be a team that can flip the switch in 2021 or will it be a longer rebuild? I was pretty high on the prospect of this team being very competitive in 2021, but I thought they were going to be much more competitive this year than they have been. It's so hard to answer a question like this because you've got so many factors to that that will play into this that we just don't know the answers to. Who will be the GM? Who will be the head coach? Offensive coordinator? Defensive coordinator? Which quarterback is it that they got? Uh, what do they do with the rest of those draft picks? Who's here next year personnel-wise? So it's very difficult to answer the question. But let's say... For argument's sake, the Jaguars go get what most people feel is a competent head coach 
next year with, you know, good offensive and defensive coordinator, new guys that people are at least excited about. And you go get Trevor Lawrence. And then you're also able to add some potentially blue chip type players on defense and spend some money in free agency to maybe get some guys in here that can help turn the defense around. I still don't think you're looking at a playoff team. I do think maybe a team that won't be competing for a number one pick again, but not a playoff team really next year. Immediate impact on the performance, yes. They will be more fun to watch. They will be a better team. But a playoff team next year, it's really hard to say that with the lack of development you've seen from some of the guys that needed to develop this year. I have to disagree with you. Um, I think it is pretty clear cut. I think it goes one way or the other, but I think it's, it is pretty clear cut that this team can be competitive next year. And I'll tell you why. I think the biggest question mark, the, the biggest, you know, the biggest thing that you have to, to fix on any NFL franchise is the quarterback. So for, for Cody's question, you know, let's say either way, the Jaguars get number one or number two, and let's say Lawrence doesn't go back to Clemson and you get fields or Lawrence. I'm going to put them both out there. You fired the whole regime. You've got a new GM, hopefully, who's not scared to spend some money. You've got, like he said, a, a crap ton of draft picks in really good positions early on. This team has, I think, only a few holes that you could really plug between free agency and the draft to really give you a good shot at winning and winning frequently next year. You've got a guy like Lawrence or Fields, a guy who who can make an immediate impact on the game, especially if you build a strong roster around him. With the money that the Jags are going to have available, the new GM should have no problem getting some some key free agents. And I think an entire regime change is going to change the outlook of this franchise. There's a lot to look forward to playing for the Jaguars. No state income tax. That's the first one. Knowing that everyone from this previously bad regime is gone you know, the third one would be to play with a guy like Lawrence or Fields early on in their career. Playing with a guy who's supposed to come into the NFL and make make a splash. You know, if if people would have known what Patrick Mahomes was going to be, what Lamar Jackson was going to be, look at these guys that are going to these places now. Those are guys they want to play with. So I think free agents are going to look at that if they don't have opportunities to go elsewhere. Some of those other big names. These are guys that people are going to want to play with. So I think it's going to be very attractive for free agents. I think we're going to be able to plug some of those holes on the defensive line, plug some of those holes on the offensive line, and plug some of those holes in defensive backfield. You know, I think you need a safety, you need another corner, and you need a defensive tackle. And I think between the amount of draft picks that we have and the cap space we're going to have and a new GM, I think this team is going to look a whole lot different next year. That being said, you know, if everything goes exactly how we plan it, but I think this team can very, very, very easily be very competitive, seven to ten wins next year if we can, you know, go throughout the process. Yeah, I, I think you're right. They could get seven to ten wins, but I don't know. I guess for me, it's just so hard to envision all of it because we just don't know what's going to happen. Like I said, you got to see what happens first. But yeah, if they got Trevor Lawrence and then went and got like three legitimate, like maybe not Pro Bowl caliber defensive starters, but guys that are like high-quality defensive starters, maybe you're looking at that. You know, with with a new coach and GM, maybe you are looking at that. So uh, that was a good question. Interesting discussion there for sure, and will be interesting to see how it plays out. But I will go in with you after you talked about that. 
and I'll, I'll agree with you that I'll, if all that goes as as we would hope it would, they could be a team competing for a playoff spot for sure next year. Now, Mike on Instagram. Should the Jags go offense with the first round picks, which, of course, the Jaguars will have two of those and spend the rest of those draft picks on defense? I think it's an interesting question, certainly. Obviously, I think the Jaguars should go offense uh, with the first overall pick that they have and go get their quarterback. Uh, we're both simpatico on Absolutely. that, correct? And I think it really depends on where the Rams pick ends up. So I'll let you finish, and then I'll, and then I'll uh, discuss. Yeah, so I don't think the second pick there in the first round necessarily has to go to one side of the ball or the other. I think personally, ideally, it would go to the defensive side of the ball um, just because you need an impact player there. Uh, But, you know, we're so far away from the draft and getting our final boards all lined up and all that good stuff. Um, I would say you want your offense first because you want your quarterback. And then after that, I don't think it has to be, okay, we need an offensive player here. Okay, we need a defensive player here. I do think the defense needs more work than the offense, and that's really the point of the question, I believe. I um, I think that both picks in the first round will be used on the offense because I think the Jaguars should do something that they didn't do last year, and that's move up. You've got so many picks, so much capital, move up. You can move. Go get that guy you want. The Rams are obviously going uh, to win a few more games down the stretch. They look like they might make it into the playoffs. So you're looking at uh, maybe a, a top 20 pick, or I'm sorry, 20 and outside, um, you know, once it's all said and done. Use that pick. Use the extra second, third round picks you have. Move back up, especially if you see a guy that you really like. Let's go ahead and assume, again, the Jaguars coming down with the number one or number two pick. You need another weapon on offense. A guy I like a lot is Kyle Pitts. He's going to go early. You've got enough. Oh, Can you not imagine that? You've got, that. Enough, you've got enough capital. Move up. I, you know, I even love Jamar Chase. I don't think that's a guy that you're going to be able to get, but I think you use those picks to move up and get another weapon on offense. Really start to give this new quarterback, whoever it may be, some real weapons. And then – you kind of intermingle towards the back end. Can we move back up again? I'd like to see it. Again, we have, what, I think it's 12 or 13 picks again next year. You don't need to make 12 or 13 picks this year. You didn't really need to last year, but they did, and I guess it's okay. This year, you don't need to. You need to go out there now and get big names and big players and really kind of find some steals um, in that draft. So if you've got the availability, if a guy doesn't go – too early and he's starting to slip down and, and you feel like you've got the, the chance to move up in front of somebody, go do it. And then after the fact, you can kind of see who's best available based on your needs. What are you really targeting? Uh, I think the first, the first two first round picks are offense. After that, we might see a little bit more defense and maybe feel, I think the offense is a little bit easier to fill through free agency, especially the offensive line. Um, and I think they would kind of go from there best available afterwards, but the first two offense. Yeah, one key piece to this discussion that we haven't brought up yet is what you're doing at left tackle. Um, Cam Robinson, this is his fourth year. You got to make a decision there. Are you going to re-sign him or are you going to try to 
you know, rebuild at left tackle. So far this year, I think he's done enough to say he's a decent starting left tackle. But what you have to pay for a decent starting left tackle these days is pretty ridiculous. So that'll be really interesting to see how that happens. Because if you don't bring Cam Robinson back, then you really need to get your quarterback a left tackle, in my opinion. But I would love to see Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields paired with Kyle Pitts, even if you have to give up a decent amount of draft capital to get it done. I think that would that would immediately change your offensive Absolutely. outlook for two for twenty twenty one and long term. I just think and, that would be fantastic. And don't I forget, totally agree with you. There. Cam Robinson was a second round pick. If you've got a guy that you can go out there and get. And the you know the free agency market comes before the draft to begin with, so you're going to know where you're at. If you've got a guy on your board that you can go out and get and replace him and, and bring him in on a rookie contract, that's definitely the way to go. I mean, he has shown that you know he, he's decent, but can we find somebody else who's decent, maybe even better? Maybe. Yeah, I, I'm with. I think that you could upgrade there. I think you could also do a lot worse, but the money factor is. Very interesting. The Jacks have a ton of money to spend, but you want to spend it wisely with that said. Now, John on Instagram, if Trevor stays for his senior year at Clemson, do you see the Jets passing on Justin Fields? Um, No, but I also don't think there's any way Trevor stays at Clemson. I know he just talked about that. All options are on the table. Everybody says that. Everybody says that. It would be completely asinine for Trevor Lawrence to go back to Clemson. He should not do that. I do not think he will do that. But to answer the question, no, I do not see the Jets passing on fields of that. I think this is a great question. And that's assuming the Jets are yes. in front of the Jets. So let's, let's, so let's assume it. Which they let's currently go forward to the Jets end up in front of the Jaguars. This is a great question. This really makes me think because I think really you can go a few ways here. If Trevor Lawrence goes back to Clemson, so I'm going to answer the question exactly how it's asked. So we're assuming Trevor Lawrence stays at Clemson. Do I think that will happen? Probably not. But I do think that if there was a time or a person or a chance that happened, it would be this year. I really do. I think this is the, probably the most probable time that we'll see something like this. But for the sake of argument, we're going to answer his question the way it's asked. Trevor Lawrence goes back to Clemson. All right, well, the Jaguars sit at number two or maybe number three, and the Jets have number one, Justin Fields. Do I think – they pass on him? No. I think they're definitely they're his he is their pick off the board. But Justin Fields is a guy that I feel you're gonna be a little less committed to than a guy like Trevor Lawrence. So I think it opens the door for the Jets to maybe move back and wait another season. Because let's be honest, if Trevor Lawrence stays, you know, if you put some weapons around Sam Darnold, you're either going to A, really see what he can do, see if he can be a decent starting quarterback, because they're only two years, three years removed from Sam Darnold, you know, being their guy. And if you suck again, put yourself in position to draft Trevor Lawrence next year, but you've got some weapons. So if you're not dead set on fields, I think they could pass. I think they could trade back for somebody who is set on getting that quarterback, which I think the Jaguars will be set on getting that quarterback, and it's really going to put them in an interesting position. Yeah, and so for me right now, the difference between Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, Lawrence is a better passer. I mean, he's just more naturally gifted. 
But Justin Fields is about as naturally gifted as any quarterback in the league outside of Trevor Lawrence or maybe Pat Mahomes. He's right up there with uh, some of the most talented players. He was a number one overall prospect going into Georgia. Uh, He's a very, very talented guy. He's just not as far along in his development. He didn't become a starter until last year, and he wasn't asked to do a whole lot in terms of reading the field, getting the checks, you know, understanding what defenses are trying to do to stop him. So I'm a guy, I love Justin Fields as a prospect. Would I rather have Trevor Lawrence? A thousand times. But do I think Fields is an excellent consolation prize? Yes. And I do think what you said about the Jets maybe being open to trading back, I think that could be a realistic possibility. I think it's all about fit. I love Fields too, I I think it's all about fit. You know, and I don't think I don't think Adam Gase is going to be there next year either. So things things might change. But you know, really, whoever comes in, whoever's the next head coach, you really got to look at what that philosophy is. I know, obviously, you see a lot more of of the college style offense with these with these mobile quarterbacks, and I do think that they are taking over the NFL. And I think Justin Fields has everything it takes to be an absolute star in this league. But is the fit right? Is the fit right? You're not going to throw Gardner Minshew, and I know this is kind of you know hearsay because the Ravens did it after the fact. They did it the right way and drafted Lamar Jackson and built the offense around him. But you're not going to bring in a guy like Gardner Minshew into that philosophy. You know, just like I don't think you're going to bring a guy like Justin Fields, you know, into your West Coast power scheme. So is the fit going to be there? We'll see, depending on who the Jets' head coach is. But I, I could definitely see them, you know, looking to move back. I think not everyone is going to be dead set on Justin Fields, but somebody will be dead set on Justin Fields. Yeah, I think most teams will be like very into him, but you could be right there. We'll see how it all plays out this season. He had a good start to the season uh, at Ohio State last week. I believe they played Penn State coming up. So that'll be really a, a good a good barometer of where Justin Fields is at right now. Now we are moving on to our final mailbag question, which is a two-parter. Uh, questions are kind of related, but it's definitely two different questions from Sam double-dipping here on us. Sam on Instagram. Will the Jags ever have two winning seasons in a row? I think it's very easy to say yes. It obviously hasn't happened in quite some time since uh, 98, 99, if I'm remembering correctly. But, yeah, I mean, it's easy to say that they uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to look back at that. Weren't there two years in the early 2000s, maybe mid-2000s that we made it back to back? It would have been like in between 2005 yeah, and Yeah, it wasn't 07, 08, back-to-back like back playoff years. I could be wrong, but... They didn't go to the playoffs back-to-back, back, but they might have had an eight-win season and a playoff okay. season back-to-back. Okay, well, I think, yeah, I think, I think it's... No, I guess eight wins is yeah, considered... No, we're, we're taking season. nine, seven, and above. No, no even. Okay, then no, they did Has not. Has it really been the last time since, since 98, 99? Really? Yeah. Man, that well, that I mean, twenty years of history says no, but you'd be hard pressed to say to say no. I mean, are we talking about ever? Does that does that factor in? So yeah, that's the question. Will the so Jets ever have the, two winning seasons in a row? Ever, yeah. Jets but I mean, okay. Yes. But here, here's play devil's advocate here. What if the franchise moves in the next three years and they're no longer the Jaguars? Does that does I mean, that count? They get renamed? I don't think that they would change the name just because, like. I think it fits in London. Like it's a cool name. 
And they love saying Jack. They love saying Jaguar. <laughs> well, then yes, I think I think I think you would have to say yes. Of course, at some point, the Jaguars will turn this thing right. I mean, look, every franchise has their ups and downs. Um, you know, the Jaguars have had their ups. Let's not forget that. You know, a little bit earlier on in their existence, but you know, it, it definitely cycles. You know, the whoever's on the top is not going to be on the top forever, and whoever on the bottom is not going to be on the bottom forever. Uh, there may be some periods, long, long periods where things don't look great, but you got to have faith. And, and yes, if we're saying, will they ever? Yeah, they'll have a they'll have back to back winning seasons at some point. For sure. Now, the next question is a more interesting question because I just think, you know, the obvious answer to if will they ever have the two winning seasons is yes. This one, though, it's not so obvious, I think. Will the Jags win the division in the next five years? You can go ahead and well, tackle this I one. I think the next year is going to be the biggest determining factor in that question. Are we going to get things right and get ourselves on the right track? Um, and I think the answer is yes. I mean, I just everything is really starting to come together. I mean, and this is the first time in, in – a long time where I think that we're setting ourselves up as much as, as bad as it sounds. We're setting ourselves up for future success. You know, the last few times the Jaguars have tried to go get that guy, Blaine Gabbert, Blake Bortles was never, you never, I never really had that feeling of like, Oh, this is 100% it. The situation wasn't ever as good as it is now. In my opinion, this year coming out, you know, but this previous year, we, we didn't have a chance to go get that guy. You know, we tried our hand at the free agent quarterback market. That didn't work. But we've collected a a bevy of picks, a bundle of picks. We've set ourselves up over the last two years to put a lot of raw, young talent on this team. We're going to do it again. And it's looking more and more increasing like, you know, the Jags are finally going to be in a position to get – you know, a, a, a franchise quarterback, or at least one they could hope to be a franchise quarterback. And you got to be optimistic. Again, the prospects that we're seeing this year coming out, hopefully coming out, fingers crossed, Trevor, come on, man, are prospects that we don't see every year. This is something that we haven't seen in a long time. Again, I go back to, to Andrew Luck and RG3 as the last really one-two dynamic quarterback you know, draft coming out. And after that, I, I can't really think of the last one before. Um, I mean, maybe Eli and, and, and Ryan Leaf or, or, or Eli, Eli Eli and, 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 and that, and and that was, that was, you know, that's like the O3 NBA draft. That was just, that was just an anomaly that will probably never happen again. Um, so I think, you know, you're finally positioned to be in one of those situations. So do I think, that they can win the division in the next five years, yes, because it all starts with the quarterback, and it looks like we're going to be in a great position to get that guy and build around him, and it's not going to take us five years if you do it right because you're only going to have four years to figure it out on that rookie contract. And if he doesn't win a football game in four years or doesn't get you to playoffs, doesn't win your division in four years, then it's out the window. So I think uh, I have faith in, in everything that's coming up. So I think, yes, I think in the next five years, the Jags will win the AFC South again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- I agree with everything you said, especially about building the right way and getting that quarterback, all those good things. I do think to answer this question, you do have to look at what's what's going on around you in the AFC South. Um, Deshaun Watson doesn't appear to be going anywhere, but he obviously hasn't been super happy with what's been going on in Houston. He is under contract, that nice shiny new contract he got. 
Uh, but is he going to be a long-term fixture in Houston? Are they going to fix what's going on on the defensive side of the ball in Houston? You'd think that that would that they would kind of get things turned around with a new regime next year. Uh, and, and you like what they have in Watson. Uh, you look at Tennessee. You love what um, what Vrabel is doing up there in terms of the culture and all that stuff. But how long is Derrick Henry running like Derrick Henry? How long is Ryan Tannehill playing the way he currently is? Uh, those are really important questions there. And then obviously in Indy, you've got Phillip Rivers. He's on his last legs. And uh, behind him, you've got Brissett and the rookie uh, Eason this year. So I don't think that you have a division where it's like just clearly, well, that team's going to be better than the Jaguars for the next five years. I don't think you can say that definitively about any of those teams. So uh, going back to your point, I do think that they can win the division the next five years, but that is dependent upon what happens, like you said, in the next six months or so, you know, does Doug and Dave get the ax? If they do, who do they hire? How does that go down? Uh, you got to get the right guys in here. And whoever they hire, fan base will probably be excited. But we're going to have to take a deep dive into why that guy might or might not be the right guy for for those respective GM and head coaching jobs. And then whoever that GM is, does he go out and get really blue chip free agents that you feel really good about? We'll have to see about that. And then the draft, obviously. And then the, the development of the guys that are already here. So a lot of factors go into that. If most of those factors go the Jaguars' way, which of course they haven't in the last 20 years, then you could be looking at a division winner in the next five years. If those, if most of those things happen the way that they need to happen, then yes, they will win the division. If not, it could be much more than five years before they win the division again. But the pieces are in place for the rebuild to happen. Yeah, quickly, like you but said. you have to have faith. My biggest question going in is, you know, again, I'm dead set on getting this regime out. The biggest question is going to be, who is going to lead that search for a GM? That has me a little concerned because we know that Shad's not necessarily a football guy. You got to find somebody, whether it be a consulting company that you know obviously are used in the NFL a lot, um, or or you know, do you do you have enough faith in your in your op, in your in your president, um, Mark Lamping, to kind of lead that search? You know, it just doesn't. I don't know if we have the guy who who's going to be the right to search for the guy. If that makes sense, it might not make sense, but tell me if I'm making sense. No, it okay. does make sense. That's my concern. It does make sense. You've got to to have a to hire unless you just get lucky as hell with who you hire as your GM. How do you decide if you're if you're an owner of a football team and you don't know that much about football? You've obviously seen it for the last eight years as the owner, and you he wasn't completely blind to football before that, but he didn't know how the NFL really worked. So how how do you go about that? Does Tony Khan lead the search? Does Shad Khan lead the search? Do they combine with a firm, like you said, an outside firm to lead the search? Uh, it'll be really, really fascinating, like we've said about a lot of things, how that plays out. And that decision, the GM decision, it's every bit as important, if not more important, than oh, the it's more head important. coach decision. 
They've and and, and they've got to be some on the same page. Uh, you know, Dave was around way before Doug, so obviously they didn't come in together with this like clean slate. That was Doug and Gus, and it didn't work out. Hopefully, this time it does work out, and hopefully they're not going. I mean, you would think Shad would have learned from that like four year rebuild where that what they were doing at the beginning of the the Dave and the Gus era, where they were just like we're just going to keep getting better every day and keep adding talent. Well, you didn't. So hopefully the next regime is the opposite of that in terms of trying to win and Yeah, and and I like the fact that for once and I, and I could I don't think I'm wrong, but I, this is the last time since maybe Del Rio that the coach and GM are going to be coming in together at the same time. Is that correct? I mean, I could be wrong, but I want to look back on that, but this, this may be the first time. I can't remember if if Gene um, Smith yeah, I believe it's. I can't remember if Gene Smith came in before because or uh, after Coughlin GM. was head mm-hmm. coach and GM. Well, okay, so Shaq Harris is who hired Jack. Who he was from the Jaguars organization already, though, and then Gene was also from the organization. So I don't think. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Maybe since if you want to say technically yeah, Gene since, and, and, and Del Rio, I mean, I, think I mean, they came from the organization. I get that, but this is gonna be the, the first or technically the second time that you have a new GM and a new head coach, and the GM needs to to be the one, in my opinion, looking for the head coach. The GM's gonna have an idea of how he wants to build the team. He needs to go find a head coach who's, who's got the same philosophy, um, and, and that's gonna be key. So hopefully, they find the right guys to do that. Yeah, it's it's all going to come down to that. It really is, and hopefully they can get it done. That's going to do it for this mailbag slash heavy quarterback discussion um, of this show. We will be back next week, of course, to talk all things Jags, to preview the uh, Jaguars' eighth game of the season. Hopefully they will be playing against the Houston Texans on Sunday not this Sunday, but the following Sunday. Uh, of course, the Texans need to avoid any major fallout from that COVID, positive COVID test. And the Jaguars also need to avoid uh, the positives as that as Ryan Groy from the Chargers has tested positive. So we'll see how that all that plays out. But we'll be back with you next week. We'll talk about those, those upcoming games for the Jaguars. And we'll just keep on trucking. Uh, last week, we didn't get at you because like we talked about, Jeremy was off in Nashville talking some crap to some Titans fans, having a good time. And uh, I had my best buddy in town who lives in Asheville now. So Asheville, not Nashville. So he was uh, taking up most of my time. But, yeah, we'll be able to get back after it. Uh, Hot and heavy next week. We'll be back with you. Shout out to Bold City Brewery again. They're the one and only sponsor of the show. Really appreciate them. You can check them out at boldcitybrewery.com. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bold City Brewery. Enjoy your week off, Duval. And thanks for listening. We couldn't do this without you guys. Have a great weekend.